Hello and welcome to Get Flushed, the sanitation podcast. My name's Pete and I'll be your host. This is the last episode before the season two finale next week. I'll be taking a short break through July, but I'll be back at the beginning of August with season three. Now, while I'm hoping to do a bit of fishing and perhaps even hit the ski fields during that break, I've also lined up a few interviews ready for season three, so I'm fairly sure I'll be kept busy. If you'd like to appear as a guest, place adverts, or even commission an episode to promote your brand, please drop me a line to info at getflush.online. Now, I started Get Flush because I wanted to improve the standard of the restrooms that I encountered on construction sites and at events. And with 52 episodes now online, I'd like to think that I've been able to share some useful information, ideas, hints and tips, and in some way help to improve the overall experience for restroom users around the world. And I say that because the show has now got regular listeners in 62 different countries. While I was doing some admin work this week, I came across a recently registered domain name, getflush.ca. When I opened the link, I found it led to a website that contains a petition and a recently published document called Report on Washroom Facilities in the Construction Industry. Now, I love a good read, so I got stuck in. I learned that that website, the petition and the report are part of a project which was instigated by British Columbia Building Trades. For those who are not familiar with them, it's an umbrella organisation that represents 25 construction industry unions in Canada. They provide coordination and support to the unions, and by working together, they hope to achieve a powerful voice in government, in bargaining, and in their communities. Now, BC Building Trades commissioned the Harwood Safety Group to provide a report that examined the current law and practices regarding the provision of washroom facilities on construction sites in Canada. Harwood described themselves as a leading occupational health and safety firm. Their consultants have decades of experience in safety and hygiene practice, law, training, and working with WorkSafe BC. Now, from what I can tell, the overall aim or purpose of this project is to push the regulatory bodies to raise the standards for the provision of on-site restrooms for construction workers in British Columbia. And I say that because the headline for the petition reads, BC workers deserve flush toilets, sinks and proper lighting. Sign if you agree. Now, I don't disagree. And before I go any further, I'd like to congratulate BC Building Trades for launching an initiative to improve restroom standards. That's exactly why I began Get Flushed. And I also have to congratulate them on their choice of name, although I would have preferred it if they'd done a quick Google search first to see if Get Flushed was already being used. As I read the report in more detail, it started to ring a few alarm bells for me, and I've come away feeling that it lacks a bit of integrity and rigour, and well, frankly, I think they've missed the mark. And so, with that in mind, I'd like to use this week's episode to explain why. The report is published as a PDF. It's got 24 pages and almost 6,400 words. Obviously, I'm not going to read the whole thing on the podcast, but I have put a link to the site in the notes for today's show, and I would encourage listeners to read it. The first thing I noticed is that the report includes some pretty sweeping generalizations, and that made me doubt whether or not the authors have actually visited any toilets on site, spoken with any sanitation providers, or contacted any industry bodies such as the PSAI. I'll give you an example. This is a statement from the opening page. Non-plumbed washrooms are wholly inadequate in terms of providing readily accessible, safe hand hygiene and washing facilities, sufficient illumination and consistent clean and sanitary conditions overall. Now that statement appears twice. Once as a large caption over a picture of a plastic portable restroom, which is presumably designed to catch the eye, and again in the executive summary. I'll read it again. Non-plumbed washrooms are wholly inadequate. 
There's no ifs and no buts. Now, when I read that, it did ring a few alarm bells, so I shared the report with a number of my industry friends, some of them in Canada. Everyone who read it was just as shocked as me. One person said they've pulled out the absolute worst of the industry examples and amplified them 10 times. Another wrote, my first impression is that whoever wrote this didn't talk with anyone who provides portable toilets. Where is the evidence of the repeated claims that portable toilets prevent an obvious going health risk? What did he mean by that? Well, the report states there are recognised biological hazards associated with poor hygiene practices prevalent under the conditions these facilities afford. The dangers from such hazards are now exacerbated by the additional adverse health outcomes that can arise from contracting the COVID-19 virus. Everyone would agree that poor hygiene presents a biological hazard. That's exactly why toilets and sewer networks were developed and why proper sanitation continues to be so important to public health. But it's the use of the words, these facilities, which we all took to mean plastic portable restrooms, that concerned us the most. Nobody in the industry would claim that they've never seen a terrible restroom, but we've also seen lots of really good ones that are clean and fresh, well-maintained and properly stocked. The authors ignored or weren't aware of initiatives like best practice, cleaning standards, driver training and the inspection regimes that many operators now undertake. Instead, they've shown a real bias and condemned portable restrooms without actually providing any real evidence or examples. That said, I can and do agree with some aspects of the report. A poorly maintained restroom is never a pleasant experience. It's not nice for the user and it's not nice for the technician who goes to clean it. But graffiti and a lack of hygiene says more about the people who use that bathroom than it does about the restroom provider. There's no doubt that toilets on large construction sites do attract abuse. I've seen many brand new units absolutely ruined on those sites in a matter of days. Cigarette burns and holes in the walls, initials carved into the top of the tank, broken dispensers and missing seats. I've seen poo on the seat and poo in the urinal. I've seen pee on the floor and I've even found used tampons squashed behind the vent pipe. Unfortunately, those things seem to happen more regularly on large construction sites than anywhere else. It's a well-known issue across the industry. I've heard operators say, use the worst toilets you've got on construction, they'll only get ruined. Others argue that you should leave your very best units because that would encourage people to take more care, except it doesn't. When I see toilets in such a disgusting state, I think I'd like to visit the people who work there at home. I'd do that to see how clean their bathrooms are. I wonder what their mums would say if they left pee on the walls and floor, what their wives would say if they left poo smeared on the seat, what their sons and daughters would say if they found a used tampon squashed under the sink, or what they would say if their kids drew a big cock and balls or wrote Jimmy is a fat on the back of the bathroom door. I'm guessing they'd all blow a fuse, which makes me ask, if it's not acceptable at home, why does it happen in a portable restroom? Having dismissed portable toilets as wholly inadequate, the BC report identifies trailerized restrooms as the preferred solution on construction sites. The report states, portable trailered plumbed washrooms provide the following benefits for worker health and safety. Water flushing toilets and hand hygiene facilities with hot and cold running water. Pumped, cleaned, disinfected and replenished regularly if used with a proper servicing agreement can be heated and illuminated, offering better conditions for use and effective cleaning and disinfection, and they conform with accepted and appropriate standards for personal hygiene. I could agree with all of that, but I've deployed restroom trailers on large construction sites, 
I've also sent portable ablution blocks and containerized restrooms where the waste was collected in a holding tank. And I can tell you firsthand, all of those solutions come with their problems. The most obvious drawback with any unit connected to a tank is the danger that the tank will overflow. Even with daily service, there's always a danger that a tap is left on or a cistern jams, which allows a constant trickle of water. Sure, you can use percussion taps that turn off after a few seconds or ones that you need to hold down when you wash your hands, but even those fail and a running tap or a leaky cistern can easily fill a tank overnight. I had one site where the client had set an ablution block beside a plastic waste tank sunk into the ground. A couple of electric pumps in chambers pushed the wastewater along a pipe and into the tank. There was one for the male side and one for the female side. Both pumps would get blocked and jammed on a regular basis, usually at the weekend. The most common reason was that workers flushed paper towels or sanitary pads which blocked the impellers on the pumps. The toilets then backed up more and more with every flush until wastewater poured over the floor inside the unit. Our response was to remove the paper towels and fit hand dryers. The pumps were blocked again one week later, but that time we found a sock and a plastic disposable shopping bag. When their trailers have freshwater flushing toilets, not all operators add blue to the holding tank. That's the chemicals that we use in portable toilets. In fact, I'd say it's common practice not to add blue on trailers. The result is that the trailers can and do smell. They might look clean, but if they smell bad, they can be really unpleasant to use. Regular listeners will know that the blue chemicals used in portable toilets have four main components. A dye, a deodorizer, a detergent, and a disinfectant. I've said time and time again, those chemicals only work if there's enough water to cover the waste. And I've said many times, failing to add the correct amount of water is where most operators go wrong. But there's none of that in this report. Some operators do manage to disguise the smell in their trailers with a deodorizing spray or fragrance blocks. As we heard from David Pipkin in previous episodes, PortaClear is a product that can help eliminate that foul odour completely. I'd also say that blockages and overflows don't tend to happen with plastic portable toilets. Because you can see the waste when you lift the lid, most people are sensible enough to realise that the toilet is full and needs to be emptied. And if you add an AirVote sticker, they can let the provider know in real time without making a phone call. But again, none of those issues are mentioned in the report. Of course, the best option for me would be a vacuum system like Sanitrax, which can be connected directly to the sewer. But that's not always possible. Sanitrax units are expensive and there's not always a sewer, especially at the start of the job or on a new build or greenfield site. That said, I will acknowledge that I've had clients who've pushed hard to establish a sewer connection and put in proper plumbed-in ablutions as soon as possible on the job. That way, they could remove the portable toilets from site. The other aspect that the report really doesn't grasp is servicing. It doesn't matter if you use plastics, trailers, ablution blocks, sanitracks or permanent bathrooms. No toilet in the world that's used by lots of different people will stay clean unless you clean it. And the service intervals aren't set by the PRO. Instead, that decision is usually made by the project manager or the site manager and it's usually driven by price. Most construction projects have a fixed budget and when it comes to toilets, the people in charge usually want the least number of units at the lowest possible cost. They'll choose fortnightly servicing when they should be on weekly, twice weekly or even daily. They'll book 10 toilets when they really need 20. And let's not pretend that trailerized units stay any cleaner than plastics. They get used and abused just as much. In fact, it's usually much worse because the cleaning is often left to the client. 
When the pump truck arrives on site, the driver will empty the waste. They may replace the toilet rolls, sanitizer or soap, but most of them don't actually clean the unit. The report also includes some costings which were obtained from local providers. But I have to say, the authors did themselves a massive disservice in the way they presented those figures. They compared the price of a single portable toilet against quotes for a large restroom trailer and a couple of two-pan towable units. While the single plastic unit was offered at $150 or $200 a month, the trailers came in between $2,500 and $3,000 a month. Any project manager seeing those figures would be forgiven for walking away. But they're not comparing like for like. And the sad part is that price comparison is woefully naive. If the authors had told the full story that the project was for a six-month build with 100 workers on site every day, the price difference would have been much closer, and that could have actually really helped to build the support for their case. As I said earlier, I really do appreciate the broad intention behind this report, and there are some statements that are really well made. I'll read these out because I think they're worth sharing. The first one says, an industry and regulatory enforcement shift is called for in order to provide workers with the most basic elements of workplace hygiene to help ensure both their personal dignity and their health and safety at work. I can't argue with that, but the pressure needs to be directed at site managers and project owners. Convince them that proper sanitation is worth it and the shift will happen. At the same time, we also need to educate the workers who use those facilities. There's no excuse for bad toilet habits. Human waste is a biohazard. It's a class 6 dangerous good. Its potential to cause illness and spread disease cannot be ignored. Workers need to realise that. They need to respect others when they go to the bathroom and there needs to be consequences for those who don't. The second paragraph I want to share reads, The current view by the industry and WorkSafe BC is that the use of unplumbed toilets on construction sites complies with the Workers' Compensation Act, the OSH regulations and the OSH guidelines that pertain to occupational environment requirements. However, in view of viable alternatives to non-plumbed portable washrooms, such a view is outdated and needs to be examined more closely. Now that's a bit wordy, but I do agree with it, except for the fact that the report only offers restroom trailers as a viable alternative. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that when I read it, I thought it'd been written by someone who'd got a fleet of trailers they were looking to hire. We live in extraordinary times where restroom technology is advancing at a tremendous rate. Sanitrax has definitely raised the bar with their vacuum system, and Chelsea Wald identified some fantastic toilet innovations in her book Pipe Dreams. But again, none of that is shared or even acknowledged in this report. I've no doubt that change is going to come and open tank bathrooms will disappear. But left to the restroom industry, that won't happen overnight. Plastic toilets last a really long time, 40, 50 years, maybe more, and they're still being produced in really high numbers. We could force the change through sweeping and deliberate reforms that ban open tanks and make recirculating flushes redundant. That's already happened in some parts of the world, and the report does include a few examples from the UK and Australia. But reform like that would come at a massive cost to the environment, the manufacturers, and the portable restroom operators. Sure, some of the plastic could be recycled, but most of it would end up going to landfill. And whether or not hirers are willing to pay for the cost of that change remains to be seen. I wrote to both BC Building Trades and the Harwood Safety Group to ask if they'd like to appear on the show. If they're listening, that's a genuine and sincere invitation. 
I've been critical of some parts of the report, but I'm not looking for a fight, and it's not my style to shoot you down. I'd love to know more about your research method and talk about how the rest of the portable sanitation industry in British Columbia and beyond could help you to achieve your goals. Okay, I think that's about enough for this week. I've put a link to that report in the notes for the episode, together with a link to our Patreon page, where a modest monthly donation will give you early access to every episode and bonus material that's not available anywhere else. Please remember to tell everyone you know all about the show and remember to subscribe or follow on your preferred app so that you get every episode delivered direct to your device. Once again, thank you for your time. I've been Pete and you've been listening to Get Flushed. <laughs>